unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. And thanks for listening after another bye week. Back at it once again on this week's show. We'll do an NBA broadcaster breakdown. My guys who helped me do that are Eric Lopez, the Black and Gold Banneret, and Adam Eaton of the Suns VUCF. They are standing by in the virtual green room and will join me for that endeavor in just a moment. Yes, I've been doing a little bit of load management. As much as I loathe it in the NBA, unfortunately, I've had to utilize that uh, on the podcast, uh, doing a bi-weekly edition, but uh, we'll be back on the weekly uh, wagon here uh, starting this week. So uh, thank you for your patience with that. Meanwhile, this past weekend, Phil at 50. Wins the PGA Championship. You've probably already heard by now he is now the oldest player to ever win a major. And almost 51 years of age. But uh, Phil was able to uh, hold off Brooks Kepka as they were the final pairing. Interestingly enough, uh, I watched early round coverage on ESPN on the final day and all they did was talk about how historic a day it was going to be because it's either going to be Kepka or Mickelson, making no mention of other players like uh, Louis Ustazen, who was uh, just a couple shots back, and there were a couple others in the mix there. And although none of them mounted a serious threat, they were well within striking distance. But uh, everybody was rooting for Phil, me included. I'll raise my hand to that. And uh, it was uh, tremendous to see, you know, having all the fans there and the way they reacted at the end was just totally fantastic and you know phil was gonna is gonna be a hall of fame golfer anyway but now this victory with his sixth major which is a very select list there's not a lot of people on that list you know kind of really ups his legacy a bit uh, to where it's not as dwarfed as much by tiger as it would have been uh, you know, he had the unfortunate timing of being around when Tiger was the most dominant golfer and had the most dominant golf stretch of anybody ever. But uh, Phil's pocketed some majors. He does it as a 50-year-old, and life is good for Mr. Phil. All right, time now for another in our series of broadcaster breakdowns. This time we focus on the NBA. And as always, my broadcasting breakdown buddies are Adam Eaton of the Sons of UCF and Eric Lopez from the Black and Gold Banneret. Guys, thanks so much for doing this once again. Anytime, boys. This is always a pleasure. Broadcast Breakdown Buddies was a fantastic alliteration to start the show, Jeff. That's why you're uh, you're the pros pro around here. <laughs> there you go. Uh, at least I get points for something here. So uh, we're going to go through the uh, the NBA broadcast teams with Turner and ESPN. And uh, we will first start off with uh, uh, Turner. And uh, the first team we'll talk about will be, at least for this series, Marv Albert and Grant Hill. And, of course, it's nice to see that Marv is going to get a victory lap as he announced his retirement before the playoffs started. 
And, you know, Marv has had an amazing career calling the Rangers, the Knicks, uh, prominent in other sports in his time at NBC with boxing, the National Football League, where he was like probably Ian Eagle before Ian Eagle was the the number two, number three guy that was always uh, uh, very solid in doing those. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of, uh, I have a couple of tie-ins with uh, Marv Albert first, uh, uh, when I was uh, producing for uh, Chris Russo back in the 80s, you know, Chris, you know, Marv was one of his heroes. So I managed to track down Marv at Channel 4 in New York and got him to record a happy birthday for Chris on his birthday uh, one year. So that was kind of cool. And he was uh, certainly great and helpful about that. And the other thing that I, uh, that I always think about with Marv is, you know, you know when, the, when the magic were hot in the 90s and NBC did a lot of games here, uh, you know, Marv before the before the game uh you know everybody would gather for the in the media area for their for the dinner or lunch depending on uh, you know if it was a day or a night game and marv not to say other play by play guys don't prepare but marv was just so meticulous he had a table spread out all his papers all that stuff would be on laptops today probably but uh but marv would just you you could just see how focused he was and very few times did he get interrupted only by people who probably do it really well and they didn't they didn't linger they they let him do his thing and so i was always just amazed by the amount of preparation that marv albert did and it was always great to hear him go yes and it counts so uh there's some nice uh, thoughts on marv and of course i think this year uh he may have been affected more by the fact that they aren't on site so i think that kind of affected his call this year as well because marv definitely you could tell he feeds off the energy of the crowd so uh, uh let's get your guys thoughts on marv and grand hill uh we'll start with you eric <laughs> Well, I think Marv is the voice of basketball in the NBA, right? I mean, it, I mean, really going back to when he was the voice of the Knicks, obviously the NBC era, the Turner era. I think he gave a lot of credibility to Turner, too, when he kind of became the voice on Turner. I think that's uh, a really, really strong comment, and it's going to be a tough shoe to fill. Uh, but, you know, everybody knows Marv. Obviously, I remember Marv. People forget Marv used to do other sports, as you mentioned, uh, I'll never forget, he pre he co-hosted the World Series with Bob Costas in the 80s as well. So uh, did the NFL. Uh, so I, I think Marv's one of the great broadcasters, period. But obviously the NBA is that at the top of his list. And what's interesting is the Eastern Conference Finals the, uh, this year is on Turner. Now, I don't expect the Knicks to get there, but there's a very good chance that the Brooklyn Nets will be in the Eastern Conference Final. And I think from what I've read, the broadcasters will be on site uh, at that point. So I think you could see a scenario where Marv final games uh, calling basketball is in the, in Brooklyn, in New York. If it can't be Madison Square Garden, at least it's in the in the region where he is the most well-known. I think that would be a fitting way to end it. I was disappointed. I didn't see him the other night calling the Knicks game for Turner. We'll see if he gets an opportunity to call a Knicks game here during the playoffs. Adam? Yeah, I think Eric hit it on the head. I mean, Marv is, his voice is synonymous with the NBA, right? Big games, you, you knew Marv was going to be there. You think about all those clashes in the 90s with Bulls, Pistons, uh, and, and it's just a synonymous voice of, of, of Marv saying yes or, uh, you know, sort of welcoming everyone into the, into the game. Uh, that with round ball rock, I think if, if, you, uh, if you had those two things, you knew you were about to see something big. And I think Marv, Marv uh, was certainly a huge part of that. It's really tricky, right, because it's, it's tough to watch the quote-unquote aging broadcaster sort 
sort of walk away, right? Dick Enberg, Dick Stockton. I mean, those are a couple of names where they're synonymous with Brent Musburger. They're synonymous with certain things. And you kind of see them lose a little zip off their fastball towards the end there. I think you're right. I think not having the ability to be in stadiums this year was an impact on Marv. I think it may cause some to think that he lost the zip on his fastball because of the remote nature of what he was working with. And then we haven't really talked about you know his, his broadcast partner, but let's not forget he had Chris Weber for a lot of the season. Chris Weber, uh, which is an ironic twist, a week before the playoffs is let go or mutually parts ways with Turner, which you never see that happen a week before the most important thing. Of the Very season. strange. Uh, so uh, whatever whatever Marv had to do to carry C. Webb at that point, who knows, but added stress, that wasn't him as well. But he, he's a legend in, in the game. Uh, it is going to be tough shoes to fill. I'm sure we'll get into that later on. I think he's done a nice job with Grant Hill in the limited time they've been together. Uh, I think Grant's coming along a little bit. Um, he's not going to say anything controversial, but – you know, he does offer good insight, but I think you got to factor in, you know, he, for whatever you think of Chris Weber, I mean, Marv probably carried a little bit of the baggage for him this year, plus being remote may lead some to think he lost that zip on his fastball. But uh, if, if you hear Marv's voice, you know, it's a big game. And, and uh, to Eric's point, I hope we get to see him at least one more time in a crowded venue, you know, last second shots and, and go out on a high note. It was kind of nice, too, that they uh, got to reunite him with the czar of the Telestrator, Mike Fratello, for a game. That was kind of kind of cool. And, you know, and Marv, in addition to doing play-by-play, was a sports anchor in New York uh, during a lot of the times of the 70s and 80s, and uh, also a frequent guest on David Letterman. We always uh, would, would, would unveil the wild and wacky plays of the week. So uh, that was always fun. And, uh, and, um, and, yeah, I think what you said is interesting. You know, Grant Hill, you know, you know obviously we've seen him kind of grow a little bit uh, on the NCAA tournament. And, uh, you know, getting to work with uh, Marv Albert uh, on, on his way out is a, definitely a good thing. Uh, Eric, your thoughts on Grant real quick. Well, Grant, you know, it's funny. This has actually turned into a big year for Grant. I think Grant was kind of always lost in the college basketball landscape in that three-man booth with Nance and Raftery. And I think a lot of people started taking more notice of Grant this year in the tournament when, uh, who was it that was that couldn't make it that uh, due to uh, protocols? It was uh, Spernarkel. Jim Spernarkel couldn't yes. make it. So that forced Grant Hill to work with Ian Eagle – and as a result, and then Raftery was with Nance, and, it, and a lot of people liked what they heard from Grant. And I don't think it was an accident that Grant slid in there in the Weber spot. I think Grant Hill's voice has been found since he's gone more the two-man route. He's better at two-man than a three-man. I think what happens with he was with Raftery is he defers to Raftery and Nance, whereas now in the NBA in particular, he is finding his voice. And that's why I think he's the lead, the favorite to be the lead analyst, not just for the rest of this year, but I think going into next year, and I think as we'll get into, I may have already mentioned who I think is going to be the new team of the NBA on Turner here in years to come, but I think that's, you know, now Grant has other uh, interests outside of broadcasting. That's the one thing I will say. I believe he owns a piece of the Hawks, I want to say. I'm not sure. That's correct, yep. So I do wonder moving forward, does Grant stay with broadcasting number one or does he, you know, does he focus more on the other uh, business adventures that he has or number two is at some point, does, is there a potential for a conflict of interest that maybe forces him not to be a main analyst for the NBA? I think those are still questions to that. We don't know here that we may have, we may hopefully we may get some answers here in the next uh, few months. Well, that, that pops up a lot, actually. I mean, I think Shaq owns a piece of the Sacramento Kings. Yeah. 
Wade, who does Tuesday Night Studio for TNT. He, he bought in a, a part of the Utah Jazz. I think you're going to see more and more of that with players retiring and wanting to get into ownership groups um, and, and being involved in it too. So that is, that's an interesting point. I'd be curious to see if you see Grant. I would doubt you'd see him in, in any Knicks-Hawks telecast, right? Because that would be the Marv team. Uh, so I'd, I'd be curious to see if they'd ever put him on Knicks-Hawks. I imagine they would not. But uh, look, I think, he, I think he's founded his voice. I think, uh, you know, the thing that you miss a little bit about the, and Jeff, you said about the, the Fratello and the, uh, the, the Albert pairing was they were, they were good natured. They rip each other a little bit, right? You'd have some fun, you know, they, they put, they poke fun at each other's expense and they kind of knew how to play off each other. They knew the jokes, the rhythms, you know, you didn't really see Marv build that chemistry with, uh, with C-Web, you know, I think Grant's got a little bit more of a personality than C-Web in that respect. So you've seen a little bit of that. Um, and, and if that can come out, I think I know who Eric's going to foreshadow as the, uh, the team. I think that individual plus Grant, Webb would or Grant Hill would have a little bit of that um, that chemistry. So I think I think Grant's got her one way to Elo's point. Does he want to Does he want to stay in the broadcast game or does he want to do something you know a little bit closer to uh, to the business side? All right. So uh, let's talk about one of the other teams uh, calling playoff series. Spiro Ditas, Greg Anthony, and Dennis Scott appeared together. Uh, we talked a lot about Spiro uh, during our uh, college basketball breakdown during March Madness. Greg Anthony, of course. Uh, uh, he's kind of uh, resurrected himself, uh, you know, from, you know, being the one-time league college basketball analyst at CBS. And, uh, of course, uh, 3D Dennis Scott. I know he's done a lot of studio work at uh, NBA TV. Um, let me get your thoughts on this team. Adam, we'll start with you this time. Yeah, I mean, Spiro's just a consummate professional. I mean, he, he seems to be able to pull off any assignment. He's not super flashy. He's not over the top, but he's also not somebody who's kind of, uh, you know, not going not gonna to bring the game along. And my only thing with Spiro, his voice is a little monotone after a while, kind of monotonous. You don't hear a ton of inflection at times. So if you're watching his game, sometimes like, it can feel kind of monotonous, like, and there's a driver of the hoop. He finishes it. And it, there's not a whole lot of up and down, uh, just from a voice perspective. Uh, but he's solid. I mean, there's not, he's not a guy I'm going to turn the, uh, you know, turn the game off if he's on. You know, Greg Anthony, to your point, it's been a bit of a resurrection. Uh, obviously, the NCAA uh, uh, lead analyst for a while, he got on some stuff off the court and kind of found his way back here in the NBA circuit. You know, I think obviously he, he does a serviceable job. He doesn't, he doesn't wow me as an analyst. I don't listen to him and go, oh, wow, I just learned something I didn't know. Or, man, he pointed out a little nuance of the game. You know, I think he hits the high points. He tells you what you need to hear. Uh, he kind of fills in the gaps on what's happening on a high level. But I don't, he doesn't really get into the details as much. And Dennis Scott, fantastic shooter terrible sideline reporter i mean <laughs> I, I know it's not his natural thing a player to sideline reporter is not a easy transition he just seems kind of awkward in that sense he doesn't know what kind of questions to ask you know it takes a lot of time to ask the question he's probably better suited in studio as you know kind of the uh, the foil to uh to, to some more of a, a serious analyst type role um you know i get what well, you gotta you gotta use who you gotta use but uh, he's he's not my favorite uh, sideline guy by any stretch eric yeah, I think Dennis is a studio guy. I think Greg Anthony, I actually like Greg better in the studio myself. I think he's okay as an analyst, but nothing really strikes, you know, big time at me. But he's really good. If you watch him, I watch him a lot on NBA TV in the studio work, and he's really good. And Spiro, it's funny. It's, Spiro can do just about every sport. What's funny is he kind of, I remember when he started with NBA TV, when NBA TV started, and he did studio, and he did the NBA TV exclusive games. He used to be the voice of the Lakers on the radio side. Um, but he obviously has grown into a, doing a lot of sports. I think he's solid. I think those three would be a great NBA studio pregame show. <laughs> Can we get them? On? Like, I actually think that would be a great pairing if there was a studio. I think they're okay as a broadcast team. 
but I, I actually enjoy them all in the studio. I think Spiro, you know, he does the NCAA tournament as well. He does football. I think he's really good at football. Uh, he's solid all around, but I don't think he's ever going to be a number one on a network per se. But I think he's versatile. He's versatile, and that's why I go back to if you told me those three are going to do a studio pregame, I'm down for that as well. In fact, I would actually take that over uh, those three over uh, on studio over what ESPN has to offer. I was about to say, ESPN should be uh, working on uh, upping their studio game. That would definitely be a, a step yeah. in the right direction there. Uh, next team we're going to talk about, uh, Kevin Harlan and Reggie Miller. Of course, uh, they also are often paired in the NCAA tournament as well. Reggie opted out of the tournament this year. And uh, Eric, I would say, too, that uh, on the NBA, he doesn't have Dan Bonner to yell at him <laughs> like you had mentioned before <laughs> in previous March Madness. Yeah action uh eric give me your thoughts on this team well to me kevin harlan is the best voice for the nba if, if, if i had to pick if i'm turner and the executives he's the guy i would pick as the number one do i think they're going to do that not necessarily doesn't mean that kevin's going to get completely hosed here but as we'll get into i have a feeling that turner is going to kind of go by committee co-number ones kind of like I wonder if you, uh, if you and Adam remember what ABC did in college football. I think it was about 20 years ago when Keith Jackson sort of retired but didn't retire. And they kind of split the Brett Musburger, Gary Danielson, and Brad Nessler. Or excuse me, it was Brad Nessler. It was Nessler and Greasy and Musburger and Danielson. And they kind of were co-number ones. And so they kind of alternated who had the big game in a particular week. They would, you know, one year, like, Musburger would call the national title game. The next year would be, you know, uh, Nestler. I kind of feel like we're headed with this with Turner. And I think, I hope for the sake for Harlan. I think Harlan's phenomenal. Him and Reggie have been together for I don't know how long, but it's been a long time. They're really good together. I think he brings the best out of Reggie. Like if you put, you know, when Reggie's been put with Marv and Weber, it's like, oh. But when Reggie's with Harlan, it's a totally different dynamic. And I can't explain it. I think I just think it's one of those things where Kevin allows Reggie to be Reggie, but can also rein him in. And I think Harlan's a genius when it comes to that, not to mention the basketball play-by-play side and his passion for the game. Basketball's meant to be called with passion. As someone who has called basketball, uh, you can't help but get caught up in the excitement if you're courtside calling a basketball game, if it's well played. I don't think it's fabric, and it's not fabrication. It's genuine. Uh, It drives me nuts when broadcasters try to be monotone when the sport really doesn't have to be that way. Uh, so I think that's what I appreciate about Kevin uh, is that he enjoys what he's doing and he brings the passion. And, he, and, and as a fan, you, you can sense the passion and the excitement in the game through his voice without being there. Adam. Yeah, when I think about uh, play-by-play guys, one of the things I always try to do is think about what is their signature call? What's the call I remember the most about this person? Not their signature phrase like the yes from Marvel, but what's their signature call? And and some of these guys, you, we could probably sit here for the next hour and try to come up with Spiro Ditas' signature call. For me, I don't know, maybe it's just me. Kevin Harlan is no regard for human life, right? The, the LeBron James dunk. Everyone knows that one. And I think that's what Eric mentioned, right? He's got that energy. You, he makes a, a big play seem even bigger. Uh, he makes a big 
game seem even bigger? If you're, you know, a lot of people watch the NBA, but maybe don't watch it play after play. It's on in the background. You know, they're doing the dishes. They're, you know, they're painting the, the furniture, whatever they're doing. And you hear Kevin Harlan yell, you turn around because you know something big just happened. And he's letting you know that, hey, you need to pay attention to this right here and right now. And I think that's what separates him from a lot of these guys is big game, Kevin, you're going to hear him yell and you're going to be in your kitchen, you know, getting yourself a snack and you're going to run out to the TV and figure out what just happened. Right. And I think that's the, the true mark of, of what Kevin brings to the, to the crew. I think the Reggie thing's interesting. I could, I could take him or leave him. I think that he's, he's polarizing, which I enjoy. He'll say the stupid thing where I'm like, did he really just say that? But the trick is he sucked me in, right? He sucked me into watching it. Now I'm listening to him tell me about how he really was a better shooter than this guy or that guy. And, and you know, there's a lot of hyperbole. Every player that night's the best player in the league, right? So there's a lot of that stuff too. But I do agree with Elo. He's much better in a, in a, in a two-man booth than a three-man booth. I don't think he fits in well and trying to pick his spots. Uh, but I think... Harlan brings the best out of him as well because Reggie's got high energy. Kevin's got high energy. I think they kind of feed off each other. I think this is a crew that I think Kevin can work with anybody, I guess. But I think for Reggie, he almost needs to be with a Kevin Harlan-esque type of broadcaster or else it's not going to work. Kevin Kevin Harlan can bring the best out of Reggie. Um, I don't know that like Spiro Ditas could, right? And that's not a knock on Spiro, but I think, I think this group works together because of their chemistry. Um, And so it'll be curious to see what Turner does do with that, with that lineup. I remember the, the Keith Jackson thing, Eric's referencing. I think that was an East Coast, West Coast thing too, where Keith wouldn't travel to the East Coast. So we had all the big right. West Coast games. Right. I don't think they would do that, obviously, because it seems like, you know, these guys are uh, are healthy enough. I know Keith was up in age at that point, but maybe there is a timeshare situation. But I'm curious to see if they would split Reggie up away from Kevin and how that would ultimately lead Reggie from a broadcast standpoint. Yeah. And Reggie always a good guest on the Dan Patrick show as well. Uh, he seems to thrive right. in that. In that uh, Patrick's well. another one. Patrick gets a lot out of Reggie too in that setting uh, on that sports. I mean, you, you, you're right. I mean, I've listened to that segment. I'm like, man, why can't be Reggie be this good sometimes when he's on the air? <laughs> like he, so it's an interesting point. Some people have that knack. Uh, but, but again, though, Harlan has the credibility too. Everybody that loves basketball has heard his voice for a long time. He's one of those voices you stop and listen because you know that what he's doing is, it, it, okay, this is important. If Kevin Harlan says it's important, then it's important. Yeah, and obviously we've talked about Kevin a lot uh, in both uh, football and our uh, previous college basketball uh, shows as well as being one of the, the, the top guys in the business. Brian Anderson, Jim Jackson. Uh, that's uh, another uh, – yeah, of course, I'm a big Brian Anderson fan, and uh, might he be the co-number one uh, that uh, we're talking about for Turner. Uh, Adam, let's get your thoughts on the uh, Anderson-Jackson pairing. Yeah, I, I like B. I think he's a guy who's not going to be over the top. He's not going to be at the Kevin Harlan levels of excitement, but he's also not going to be somebody who is kind of at a lower level of, of excitement. I think he brings just the right amount of energy to a game. I think he's learning basketball. I don't know if that's where you start. I think he's more of a baseball guy. You guys can correct me on that. So I think he's learning the rhythms of basketball. I think he's picked up really nicely. I don't know what his background was. Maybe he called college games somewhere back in the day that I don't know about, but it's, it's a tough rhythm to pick up and to go from baseball where it's slow and you're filling in time in between pitches and you're, you're telling stories to a fast-paced action like basketball. It's got to be a tough transition. Eric could probably know better than any of us uh, on how that would work out. That's got to be tough to do. So I give him credit for really kind of developing and growing as a broadcaster on the basketball side. Uh, I think he's one of those guys that will, will always be serviceable. If you need him in an assignment, you're not going to get a bad broadcast out of BA. Uh, I don't know if he carries like that name, exciting cachet, like a Kevin Harlan or an Ian Eagle might, but I think he's your serviceable number two in, in any respect. 
next. Um, listen, I'm a self-admitted Jim Jackson guy. I mean, I think the last time we were together, I admitted that I watched the big three, uh, one of the lower moments of my entire life. Um, and I think, I think Jim did a nice job in the tournament. Uh, I think he was a solid broadcaster in the tournament. I like, I like his calls of games. I think he gives you a little bit of personality with a little bit of um, uh, execution and, and a little bit of analysis. Uh, so I think Jim's a good up-and-coming guy. I think this could be a really good number two team. You know, if they go code number one, maybe that's number three if you do the math. But I think this is a really serviceable team that if, you know, if, if there's two games on that night, there's an, uh, an early and a late game, and your early game was these two gentlemen, I think, uh, I think you'd get a good broadcast. Yeah, and of course, yeah, we really, really haven't, you know, Ian Eagle obviously does games uh, uh, for Turner as well. Um, and uh, interestingly, he's not uh, in the uh, in the rotation for the playoffs this year, if, uh, if, if I'm reading that correctly, or did I, did I miss something there? I, mean, I think he, he does Nets games too, right? I think is, is his other That's part of it. So, he so does he might do have some timeshare yeah. situations. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Okay. That's a big part of it. Yes, he does the Brooklyn Nets. And uh, they're pretty good. So this year, there's a, probably, he's probably not as available as usual for because of that, especially early rounds. Yeah, most definitely, of course. Uh, so, Eric, let's 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 hear your pick for uh, who's who's the lead. Well, so let me. I, I want to talk about Brian to Adam's point because I'm a Brian Anderson fan. However, I think it would. That being said, it would be a huge mistake if they went with him as the number one for the NBA. And I compare and I compare it to a couple things. I, I remember when ABC and ESPN took over the NBA package. Do you guys remember who they made the number one guy for the NBA? Brad Nestler. Correct. And that backfired because the NBA fans, you go, you're going from Marv Albert to Brad Nestler, and Nestler's a great broadcaster but not in the NBA. Like, NBA fans don't know Brad Nestler. Like, Brad Nestler is more of a college guy. And that was like – it just – us as sports fans, we, there are certain voices we like in specific sports, correct? And I, and I think if, if we see somebody do a sport that we're not used to them calling it, it, found, it, it, it seems very bizarre. And, and I, that's how I would compare this situation. Is Brian good at doing basketball? Yeah. Uh, he does college good. He does the NBA good. But he's more of a baseball guy. Um, now, the, the interesting fascination about this is that quietly, I think Turner wants him to be their, the face of all Turner sports. So there's, a, there's the interesting intrigue here. Now, David Levy was the guy who used to be at Turner that was believed that was the biggest Brian Anderson fan. It was the guy that was reportedly was going to pick him to be the number one guy. Well, he's no longer at Turner, so I don't know if that is still in play or not. Um, but I do think, personally, it would be a mistake. I think NBA fans would turn on Brian Anderson if he was the number one guy. I think NBA fans would rather have Ian Eagle or Kevin Harlan, who are more of the NBA. They've been with the NBA for a while, and I think that's who the fans would prefer. I would compare it to, can you know, you guys obviously have complimented me on my work at UCF softball. Well, imagine if they bring in somebody else to do UCF softball. There's going to be a lot of UCF softball fans are going to be probably a little agitated. Just like, you know, if somebody else did UCF football, I think people are like, where's Mark? I think people like certain voices for certain sports that they're used to hearing. And while I think Brian is great, in my opinion, I think it should be Ian or Kevin. And I don't know. Let's make this prediction because I am very fascinated what Turner is going to end up doing. So this is right here on the record. And we can play this back, all right, when they make the announcement. And we can see which of the three of us was correct or not. My official prediction, what I think they're going to do, is I think I, Ian Eagle and Grant Hill and Kevin Harlan and Reggie Miller will split 
the number one duties. I think what there will be a year where Ian Eagle gets to call the conference final and Kevin Harlan calls the All-Star weekend. And then there'll be the next year they will alternate. I think that's what they're going to do. I think they're going to go by committee. I could be wrong, but I could see a scenario where now the Ian Eagle net situation perhaps gives Harlan a slight advantage of doing more and may hurt Ian Eagle from doing the conference finals. Maybe what they end up doing is maybe they just give Ian Eagle the all-star weekend and Harlan the conference finals. We'll see. But I think there's going to be a, a, a committee share there. I think it's too much pressure to put one guy to follow Marv Albert. That's just my opinion. Adam, what do you think? I think scheduling is interesting here because Harlan's obviously knee deep in Monday Night Football. Right, he's the guy in the radio booth. So maybe this lines up to the way Eric, you know, laid it out. Maybe maybe Ian gets a lot of the early work right early in the season, while Kevin schedules a little bit topsy turvy with travel and and, and and football stuff. And then towards the end of the season, when the Nets presumably will be hopefully a contender if in their eyes for the next couple of years, you know, maybe that that frees up more time for Kevin Harlan. My, I, I think Eric's right. I'm going to go approach a different way. I don't I don't know that Turner names and number one broadcast team. I think they, they, they kind of just figure out who's available for that game, who the best voices for that game. I think they roll it that way. I think they keep the crews the way they are, but I, I don't think that they come, they're going to come out and say that this is our team one and this is our team two. I think you'll probably see a mix of both of them, and I think they'll probably shy away from saying this is our number one crew uh, because I think if you got any of these voices, I think, you know, I think you'll know it's a big game. And sometimes I wonder, you know, if you don't have a definitive number one crew, you almost do a disservice by naming somebody your number one crew because then if they're not the best crew and somebody else is, oh, this is your best crew. This is who this is who you've got. So I think they kind of do the by committee approach, but I think they they don't approach as you know this is co number ones. I think they just assign the guys to the game and, and let them call the games. I think you, if you don't know who it is, I think you've got a good stable of depth. Um, I don't think this is like an ABC situation where you, you have a real big drop off after after the first group. Uh, so I say it's both, but not a not an announced uh, co pairing if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think we all agree that's going to be a shared situation, no matter how you slice it. And, and you know, and to Eric's point, when you were talking about Brian Anderson, eventually was poised to be the, the, the Turner sports lead man. Um, you know, he's pretty much evolved into that in, in, on the baseball side because uh, it was already it was already Johnson and, and Ernie because of COVID didn't do games uh, uh, in 2020. And, uh, and I think that Brian Anderson took advantage of that opportunity, if you will, uh, to, uh, to grow further into that role as the lead guy on baseball. And honestly, that was the best move for all parties because Brian's the better play-by-play guy. Ernie's yes. a great, the, maybe the best studio guy right now going. Not as good of a play-by-play guy. He's not in his level of his dad, uh, and he's not at the level of Brian. Brian should be the lead voice for baseball, baseball playoff coverage on Turner. So I think that actually worked out in the long run in, for the best for the network. For the network. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. All right, let's turn it over to ESPN. And uh, Adam kind of uh, uh, alluded to the fact that uh, after the number one team, there's a big drop-off uh, compared to Turner as far as that goes. And, of course, the, uh, the main number one team is uh, Mark Jackson, Jeff Van Gundy, and Mike Breen. And they have been mixing and matching some during the playoffs. But let's talk about the lead team first uh, with Mike Breen, who, you know, he has kind of evolved into a, a known commodity voice of the NBA. He was kind of like the number two guy at NBC, I believe at one point. Uh, and then uh, on the latter end, yeah. On the latter end of NBC's run there. Yeah. He was the number two. Yeah. So he uh, uh, definitely had started to make a name for himself along that line. And, and I like my, Mike Breeny. He's of course well, very well known in New York market, in the New York market as well. And uh, uh, 
does a fantastic job. And the Jeff Van Gundy, Mark Jackson thing, you know, that's a, you know, sometimes that annoys me. Sometimes it entertains me. Um, you know, sometimes I think, uh, uh, and I would say it's more on the Mark Jackson side than the Jeff Van Gundy side, but uh, it is their top team and, uh, and they, they are polarizing and, uh, and they do an overall good job of, uh, of broadcasting NBA basketball. Uh, Eric, let's uh, hear your thoughts. Mike Breen just got inducted into the Basketball uh, Hall of Fame, uh, has really emerged as the voice of this generation, really has saved ABC's coverage, if you think about it. You know, I mentioned earlier the Brad Nessler uh, you know, experiment did not work. Some of that was the lack of familiar fans just connecting with him as an NBA guy. Part of it also was they really set him up to fail from a standpoint of they paired him up. I think it was Tom Tobert that year. And Bill Walton, it just was just a bad combo. <laughs> um, and then they went to Al Michaels, who got Doc Rivers for a couple of years, but then Al left for NBC. And you wonder, does Mike Breen get this opportunity? Because Mike Breen, as a result, got the gig after Al left. If Al doesn't leave ABC, is, does Mike Breen, you know, get this opportunity to be the lead voice nationally? Talk about a what if. Would Al Michaels still be the voice of the NBA? Or would Al have said, yeah, I don't want to do it? Uh, it's worked out. You look at what Mike Breen's done with Hubie Brown, and then obviously with this tandem, uh, it's been legendary. I love Jeff Van Gundy. By the way, he just got nominated for a sports Emmy as an analyst, so he's doing great work. I enjoy the three of them. I enjoy the banter. I have it. I got no problems with it. I can listen to them all uh, every game, and uh, I actually enjoy it, so I got no qualms with them. Adam. Yeah, I think Breen, again, what's that signature call for me? It's Bosch rebound out to Allen Bang, right? That's his, that's his signature call. And his, his signature bang after a three. Uh, last year, Luca made that, that three in the bubble, and it was double bang. It was bang, bang. Uh, so I think he's, he's grown that, and I think you see a little bit of his personality. I think he may look at him and think he's maybe a tad stiff, but I think he's got a lot of personality. So uh, I think that definitely bodes well. Um, I agree with Eric. I, I think Van Gundy's fantastic because I, I like that he's not afraid to, to go after certain people. You see a lot of ex-coaches and they, they want to be very careful. They don't want to rip guys. Van Gundy is not afraid to go after the coaches, go after the refs, go after rules. Uh, and I like that he's kind of open, honest, and, and raw about that kind of stuff. Um, I, I like him and Mark Jackson together. I like Van Gundy if he's solo. I don't like Mark Jackson solo. So that's my, that's my only catch I agree with this. With that. I agree with that. It has to be those three for it to work for me. But if, if, if Jackson's off a night and it's just Van Gundy and Breen, I can live with that too. There is a little bit missing. But I, I think it's the back and forth. I think the fact that Van Gundy's willing to play the foil a little bit, you know, he's willing to be self-deprecating. I think that, that lends well. Plus, I th- I, I, you know, we're going to talk about it later on with another guy that's on this list. But I like an, an analyst who can give me a little bit of X's and O's and not, not just tell me that you know, uh, LeBron hit an open 20 footer. Tell me how he got open. Tell me the action that, that, that got that play open and tell me what the defense did or didn't do or how they need to fix it. Van Gundy can do all of that in the short windows he has. He can be entertaining with it because Jackson will say something and he'll, he'll kind of bark back at him. I think those three work well together. If you take Jackson out of the equation, I think it's okay. But Jackson solo with just another host wouldn't, wouldn't work for me. Yeah, that's a very interesting point there uh, on the dynamics of a when it's a two-man versus a three-man as far as that goes. And of course, they're often joined by Doris Burke 
on the sideline. And of course, Doris also doubles as an analyst uh, some during the season. She just worked. Uh, not anymore, the, though. Not anymore because not anymore. they promoted her to be the radio with Hubie Brown on the radio oh, side okay. for the finals. So you that's why you saw Rachel Nichols now doing sideline. And from what I understand, that's going to continue. Okay. So I, uh, now that unless they just decide to do a, a 180. But Doris Burke, because there's been a lot of outcry about Doris Burke and her getting an opportunity to be the analyst in the finals. And I think what they've decided is let's just put her on the radio side of things and we'll get into that i know we're gonna get into that more uh on that side so that's why you saw rachel nichols in the bubble and i think you'll see her here come the finals time again yeah and of course uh doris burke as an analyst has uh has gotten a lot of a lot of uh fanfare uh as well uh and, and of course has been you know shuttling between both roles uh, a lot over the last few seasons uh give me your thoughts on doris uh adam we'll start with you on that yeah, another one of those Van Gundy type molds where she's not just going to tell you that somebody hit an open 20 foot or how they got opened, uh, you know, the, the the different action, if there's subtle changes after the defense adjusts. I think she does a really good job of explaining X's and O's in a really simplistic and easy to digest manner. She's not over the top with basketball speak. She she gives you sort of the, the analysis without you having to decode what it means. I think that's a skill. Uh, that's a gift. And I think she definitely has that. Uh, I think she's got a very credible voice. I think everyone respects um, and, uh, and and she's got sort of that um, that cachet that that people want to you know want to hear her on calls. I think the fact that she can bounce between the booth and the sideline is a big testament. I, I think that's a challenge within and of itself because you got shorter windows. You certainly have different information you're trying to convey. I think that she does that uh, seamlessly is fantastic. I love the way she asks questions of coach. She asks a question, she gets in, she gets out quickly. She doesn't belabor the point. I think she does a really nice job with all that stuff too. I, I think, I think it'd be interesting to see if at some point uh, ABC will take a chance and give her an opportunity to be a part of that number one crew. I know Van Gundy flirts with coaches jobs every year. And, you know, I think this past off season, he got close with what the Rockets for the second time. Maybe he keeps those flirtations up. And if that's the case um i wouldn't be terribly shocked if abc moved her up to the uh, to the top crew elo i think it's fascinating there's a she's got a lot of hoopla she just got nominated as well for a sports semi for being an analyst she the, the issue they have is they can't pair her up with van gundy because there's just not enough airspace it just wouldn't and I think Doors would actually just defer to Jeff. And I think Jeff would kind of feel awkward, like, wait, should I give her? You know what I mean? I just don't think it would work. I think, And, and I think she's fantastic in sideline. Uh, but the problem was people were outcrying they want her to replace Mark Jackson. I just don't think that would work. I think the only chance she has of working as an analyst on ABC for a finals is if what Adam just said, if Jeff moves on to coaching. Uh, so I think the compromise they have decided here is put her on the radio side with Hubie because Hubie's obviously, you know, doesn't have a lot of years left. I think Doris will be the lead analyst on the radio for the finals once Hubie retires. And I think that's what they're setting up as a compromise. And it's a win-win for everybody. Doris gets to be an analyst on the radio uh, uh, for the finals, but you still have Van Gundy on TV and you have Doris. So everybody wins here. And I think that's to me what's going to happen here in the in the immediate future even though i do enjoyed her as a sideline i think she got out a lot out of players in the finals and in the playoffs as far as inner you know in the sideline role i thought she was fantastic in that uh, but she wants to be an analyst 
and I think she's good enough to do it. And I think the the radio side actually for now fits her well because I don't believe her and Van Gundy together uh, would work. And I still think as good as she is, Van Gundy's better. Van Gundy, there's something about Jeff because Jeff is not afraid to go after somebody, either the ref or a player for a bad, bad selection. Whereas Doris still will hold off a little bit. Jeff is very aggressive in his approach, which I think is why he is the best analyst in the sport right now. And, of course, you, you mentioned uh, Hubie Brown. Of course, Hubie's been around forever. It goes back to the CDS days, uh, uh, even working with Dick Stockton back in the day. And um, he's kind of like Jack Ramsey. I mean, we'll see if he breaks Jack Ramsey's record for longevity and whatnot. And I've always loved Hubie Brown. I just, just love the way he, he breaks down a game. And highly entertaining. has a great sense of humor. Working with Ryan Ricco and uh, Malika Andrews uh, in the early uh, series uh, for ESPN. Uh, let's get your thoughts on this team. Adam, we'll start with you. Yeah, I like Ruko. He's a, he's a young guy. He does a really nice job on ESPN's college, uh, women's college basketball coverage. I think he does a nice job hosting studio. I know he called some games this year with Rebecca Lobo a bunch. Uh, I think he does a nice job there. Uh, he's got a, you know, he's got an interesting voice. He's kind of got that Max Kellerman, New York kind of accent voice. Uh, so it takes a little bit to kind of get used to him and adjust to him. But I think he's a solid young broadcaster. I think, um, you know, there's nothing about him that says, oh my, oh my goodness, this, this guy's nails on the chalkboard. But, you know, there's nothing over the top about him either. I think he does a really nice job. I think he could end up being the, if he's already not the sort of the lead face voice for uh, for women's college basketball on ESPN for for a long time, um, I love Hubie Brown. I, I, he's probably my favorite analyst of of this group here today because of the same thing I mentioned earlier. I like I like a little bit of education with my sports, and and he does a great job of breaking it down, giving you X's and O's, not doing it in a way that kind of comes across like he knows more than you, although you know he does. Uh, but he's also very you know he's he's very specific with his points. Uh, he, he gives you exactly exactly what's happening. Um, it kind of, I feel like I'm listening to a professor in school uh, to teach to me a little bit about, you know, pick and roll defense. Right. And, you know, and, and the phrasing he uses the man here and the screen here. I mean, I think <laughs> he just got all that word, which probably unintentional, but all that stick, I think that comes with it, that um, it's, it's tough to, again, I said it earlier, it's tough to age well in broadcasting. I think Hubie does a, a great job of that. Um, Dr. Jack's a really good example of that as well. I got to grow up with Dr. Jack as sort of the heat uh, color guy for, for a number of years, which is really cool. Uh, and Hubie kind of reminds me of that same mold. So a uh, big Hubie Brown fan. Malika Andrews, I don't know if uh, she's a sideline reporter. I think she's you know doing more of the uh, NBA beats, uh, kind of breaking stories, breaking news. I think she's part of the group like, like Sedano and a little bit like Rachel Nichols are kind of flexible in those roles. You know, I don't, I don't know if I've seen enough of her as a sideline reporter yet, but I think she's done a really nice job reporting. She was, I think, the first reporter in the bubble last year uh, and did, uh, did a lot of stuff from the hotel and Disney there. So I think she's definitely made a name for herself kind of on the on the NBA beat scene, uh, working with Woj and Ramona Shelburne, folks like that. Not sure if she's long for the sideline role, but uh, but I think she's got a bright future overall because I think she's a good journalist. Yeah. And uh and interestingly enough, Adam, you, you, as we've, we've talked about, we've, we've uh, brought up the memories of Dr. Jack Ramsey. Um, I'm going to pull an ELO here and says, I actually worked with Jack Ramsey's daughter. She was a morning show producer at WKIS. And uh, later, uh, I would actually get to talk to Dr. Jack about his daughter because he was a guest on the Pat Williams show, uh, which we had on WGTO back in the 90s. So, uh there's my uh, my brush for fame uh, from that story. But let's get back to Hubie Brown and uh, Ryan Rico. Um, Eric, your thoughts. So 
the interesting thing about this group is, and I'm a Hubie fan as well, and I'm a Jack, Dr. Jack Ramsey fan, obviously, same reason as Adam grew up with the Heat. Also, obviously, he was a the longtime analyst on ESPN Radio uh, for many years until Hubie Brown took over for him. Um, is this a number three team here or four? That's the thing that's kind of confusing here to me. I think you because quietly they promoted Doris to the number two team with uh, Mark Jones, which I, I guess we'll get into them, I guess, Mark, later on. Um, so I don't know, are they three or four? I'm not as big of a Ruko fan, only in because uh, it feels like I, he's done baseball stuff and he does the women's basketball. I don't know, again, I don't know, tr- look at him as an NBA guy. He's actually the voice of the WNBA as well. Uh, I personally like Dave Pash better as a play-by-play person than Ryan Ruko. I personally like Adam Amin better uh, I'll name, you know, I can't do one of these shows without doing a name drop at some point. <laughs> I mean, Adam is a friend of mine. I've had him on my pod, on the podcast, on Banneret and on other podcasts. I think he's fantastic. He left ESPN. Thank you. Thank you. I was waiting for that. <laughs> I really enjoyed him doing the NBA. He's doing, he's now the TV voice of the Bulls. I wish if he, uh, ESPN would have found a way to keep him and move them up to be the number two guy on their coverage. I think he's that good. He's been their number two guy on the radio side until he left. So, you know, Ruko is whatever. He's fine. Hubie, I'm a huge fan. He can do games until he, as long as he wants. I think he's, you look at his, his last 30 years, you can make the argument that Hubie Brown is the greatest analyst in the history of basketball. Going back to CBS when he was with Dick Stockton there in the late 80s, 90s. He did games on Turner with Dick Stockton for so many years. Obviously, in ABC with Mike Tirico, I thought they were really good. Him and Tirico together was fantastic. Uh, he is a genius uh, breaking down basketball. I think he's the greatest analyst in basketball history. Uh, and I think uh, it's amazing. He is still good at this age. Still good, just like Dr. Jack. Both very similar. Uh, Jack was more low-key. Dr. Jack was more low-key, whereas Hubie could be a little more of that New Yorker. Ah, yes, sir. You know, but... Um, fantastic. And I enjoyed him with Mike Breen. I like it when, you know, when Mike... And those two occasionally still do some games together. Uh, so I think he's great. He's fantastic. And Malik, I think Adam has brought up, she's more of the young reporter they're trying to put in that role, basketball person uh, out of the Northeast, and certainly an up and riser. She's also nominated for a sports semi for her work that she's done over the last year. Yeah. And what people forget, Hubie Brown was actually a pretty decent basketball coach way Got back. Got the Grizzlies to the playoffs when he returned. He obviously was with the Knicks for a long time. Absolutely. Yeah. No question. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff there. Um, since we already talked about Doris Burke pretty heavily, let's uh, let's uh, get to her partner, Mark Jones. Um, I think we talked about him uh, uh, during our football breakdown. Um, and, and I think we're all kind of lukewarm on him, if I remember correctly. Me, me in particular, I think sometimes Mark has a tendency to be a little too cute, a little too – tries to be too flashy, and it doesn't play off as well. Um, Eric, your thoughts. So this is weird because I've Mark Jones, I've known, and I think Adam, you're probably the same boat. You, you used to do a lot of the heat coverage, uh, studio work, et cetera, down in Miami. That's how he started before he went national to ESPN. So I've known, I've seen him for a long time. I think he's really good. Is he number two good? I don't know. And he, in his defense, he had to follow Tariko. Tariko is really good. So that was a tough ask. Obviously. A lot of people like his work. I mean, the Sacramento Kings just hired him to be the te- their voice of the Kings uh, over there. But I, you know, I do think there's a drop off there a little bit. I did wonder 
had I am Eagle not re-signed with CBS, would ESPN have gone after him aggressively to be the voice of Monday Night Football and maybe also be a number one or number two type in the NBA side? Uh, that did not happen. I Eagle re-signed with CBS, for example. Um, so... I just kept thinking, is this a placeholder spot? Uh, but Mark's the guy for now, and uh, until something changes, he's going to be the number two guy. He's served his time and has earned that, and he's gotten that opportunity. I just, you know, I, I you know, when you you compare Turner, you you could Kevin Harlan's their number two. I or or Ian Eagle could be their number three type, and Mark Jones is like the number two on ESPN. It just seems very imbalanced. Yeah, Adam. Yeah, I think Mark Jones is a proud graduate of the Mike Greenberg School of Awkward Segways, right? And that's kind of the, the best way I describe it is I think sometimes he gets caught up in the air a little bit. He gets a little bit too cute and stuff. Uh, he's a serviceable broadcaster, don't get me wrong, but I think he always tries to, and speaking of nachos, look at the nachos on that dunk. Like, it sometimes it doesn't work. Uh, and so I, I agree. I'm curious to see what his, um, I, I believe he still keeps his home in Miami, um, but he's obviously calling games for the Kings. A lot of that was remote this year. Curious to see how available he'll be, particularly being so far on the West Coast, right? It's one thing to call games, you know, if you're, you know, Ian Eagle in, in Brooklyn and New York to, to get to Cleveland for a, for a Saturday game. But if you're in Sacramento, are you, are you able to get to Charlotte for the Lonzo ball and, you know, LaMelo ball matchup? That's going to be a tough, <laughs> that's going to be a tough flight. So I'm curious to see how much they, they use him long-term. I have nothing against Mark again. I just think, you know, he gets caught up in the air sometimes. He gets a little bit too cute. Um, and, and I just don't know if he's got the longevity just in terms of what he wants to do from a career perspective, if he's going to stay in Sacramento because there's nothing in Sacramento friends I've been there (laughs) (laughs) wow oh my goodness Uh, we've had a big three reference on this show a uh, Mike Greenberg reference and a trashing of the city of Sacramento all in one show Adam's yeah. a triple threat. <laughs> now, that, to be fair, that's the Mike Greenberg school of bad segues. Is the name of the <laughs> there you go. All right. So uh, Dave Pash, Richard Jefferson uh, are teamed up uh, this week. Uh, George Sedano on the, on the, on the sidelines. Uh, and of course, again, we talked about Dave Pash with, uh, with college basketball, with the, the Bill Walton experience, uh, which, uh, which Eric is such a big fan of Adam, not so much. Um, and, uh, you know, Dave Pash is just solid and, 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 and does a terrific job. Uh, what's your thoughts on this team? Adam, we'll start with you on this. this I, I, every time Dave Pash is on and he's not with Bill Walton, I watch just because it's kind of like a free Dave Pash moment, like hashtag free Dave, uh, <laughs> because I think he's a solid broadcaster. Um, here's the problem with, with Dave. And this isn't a problem with Dave, though. I think Eric hit this earlier, is you never know who he's going to be with, right? It seems like it's that rotating one weekend, it's Doris, and sometimes it's Hubie. You don't really know who he's going to be with, so it's tough to build that chemistry. And I think that's a credit to how good a broadcaster he is, is that he can kind of move chairs Look, if you go from Walton to Doris, you know, to, to Hubie, back to Walton, back to, I mean, if you can be that flexible and do college football with Mike Golick, uh, you know, who doesn't like let, let a second of air die, you know, I think that that definitely shows his, his flexibility, his range. I think he's a solid broadcaster. Um, I don't know what we're doing with, with Richard Jefferson. He seems like he should just be on the jump every, every week with Rachel and, and those guys. He seems more like he's going to hot take, 
you know, sort of give you a little bit of a story. I think he's good. I just don't know that I, I see him as a, as a game broadcaster. I think he's a studio guy, you know, telling stories and, and playing that kind of a role, kind of like a mini Charles Barkley. And Sedano, Miami guy, I'm a, I'm a homer for Miami guy. Sedano, good to see him kind of rise the ranks, right? He obviously had a, a great career in the, in the Miami market, you know, get out to LA, did some stuff with ESPN. Great to see him on the sidelines. He loves basketball. If you, if you listen to his radio shows, either on the ticket or on 560, you know he's a big basketball fan. So he's got credibility in my book. So I, I love uh, to see George. I always root for George. Elo. Love the radio, local radio shout out there. Remember when they used to have good drive time radio in Miami there, Adam? What happened to those days? I mean, that lineup, we're going to do radio when they say that lineup of Sedano, Sid, Rosenberg, Book Shambi, Lebetard. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a national lineup on 790 back in the day. Joe Rose, who you, I can take or leave, but he was there for a while. That's a national. <laughs> Still there a, in the morning, yeah. Eh, good for him. Uh, that's a national lineup <laughs> at, at a local market. Uh, I miss those days in radio when we used to have great uh, drive time shows. Um, so I'm a huge Dave Pash fan. I think if I if you if you ask me, I would have him as the number two guy right now. Adam brings up a great point though. Dave doesn't know who he's working with on a year to year basis. Um, even in football this fall, we have no idea who Dave Pash is going to work with because last year he worked with Adam's friend Mike Golick, senior, who. <laughs> You had on your show, Adam, I want you to address this because you in, you interviewed him. You and Mike interviewed him. What what is what happened to Mike Golick? He he did your show, he did a season with Pash, and he's disappeared. What happened? Uh, sons of UCF curse will get you every time, Elo. Uh, contract wasn't renewed, right, with ESPN. Obviously, the Mike and Mike stuff fell apart. The right. wings stuff fell apart. Contract not renewed. He keeps teasing on Twitter that he's got something coming right. up, but he's been teasing that since, like, January. So either, either it's not coming up or it's a football thing that uh, that he's waiting on. I do know by, by um, some form of communication, he's, he's left Connecticut. So clearly, and I think he went back out to the West Coast. I think he's back out in Arizona. So perhaps he's setting something up more in a West coast roots but he left the connecticut uh hub there so maybe he's trying to do something but he's been teasing this thing since january and uh unless he's calling celtics uh, nets game three soon i don't know what that thing is are you gonna you should get him back on the show to break the exclusive on your show there you go uh, you know, I've, I've, I've sent him a couple of messages just to keep the relationship warm. Not the fastest responder, but he has responded. So um, keep, keep, uh, keep right. your eyes peeled. You never know. All right. Uh, all right. I just wanted to bring that up. I didn't mean, I, I just wanted to bring, because I remember listening to that interview and you got, and they asked him about his future. And he's like, well, you know, I'll get something. I'll be, I'm like, what is he going to do? Uh, meanwhile, I have no idea who Dave's going to work with this fall. And I don't know who he's going to work with beyond this year because Richard Jefferson is in his last year of his contract at ESPN. And I think that's one of the reasons, Adam, to answer your Richard Je- I think that's why they're trying him in different things because they want to decide, okay, do we keep him? And then if we extend him, what do we want him to do? And I think that's kind of what's been going on with Richard. They, they know they got something. They just don't know how to use him or what, how to, you know, what to use him with. So – uh, I think that's the story with that, but I'm a huge Pash fan. I think he could do – he's great at football, great in basketball. Uh, put him as the number two team, and heck, put him with Bill Walton for the NBA for a game, huh? Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know Eric will watch. <laughs> I can't NBA see Snapper fans. Jones. Put him with Walton and Snapper, snapper man. Yes. Let's yeah. go. That you brought that back, I'm fine, yeah. I think NBA fans would revolt if you got full Pac-12 after dark, Bill Walton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would I would definitely agree with that. Uh, turning to the team of uh, Jason Benetti 
and uh, former Daytona Beach Mainland High School basketball star and one of the longest careers in NBA history, Vince Carter. Uh, let's get your thoughts on that team, Eric. Uh, well, Benetti's brand new. They just added him, which is kind of interesting that they've added him when they extended his deal. He's going to try some NBA stuff, and he's good at doing basketball, did college basketball. Vince is an up and rising star. He has a big time popular podcast. Anybody, I've covered Vince Carter uh, through the NBA with the Magic Games. Anybody that's been around Vince Carter knows this was the direction he was headed towards. Uh, and with the Paul Pierce fiasco, I think there's an avenue here for Vince Carter. Well, yeah, Adam liked how he described That's the way I could describe it. It's a family show. Um, I think there's a path here for Vince on AB to kind of, you know, go up on the ESPN ladder here quickly if that's what he wants to do. And I think ESPN could use him more. And I think they've started to use him more. I think you'll see him on the jump, obviously, a lot. But I think he's a guy that should be part of their plans uh, moving forward because I think he's really good. And I think if they give him the right and put him in the right situation, I think he could flourish for him. Adam? Yeah, I think with VC, it's a race against time. Like, will his will his talent continue to rise with his name? Because he's got the name that you put him on a broadcast and people are going to want to tune in. No one's going to want to – there's probably nobody else that you would want to listen to talk about a, a game-breaking dunk than Vince Carter, right? Who else would describe that to you than him? So I think if, if you can get the talent to match up with the name, I think you got something there. I think he's going to have good reps. But I think it's going to be important who his partner is. Uh, I like Benetti. I think he does a good job calling games. Again, serviceable. Uh, he does White Sox games on – uh, on, on TV as well. So how much of the basketball stuff he'll, he'll do. I think I see him as that sort of midweek, you know, uh, Nuggets, Pelicans, Thursday night, 930 tip kind of fill-in guy. I don't know if he's going to end up breaking into, you know, playoff coverage, but, you know, you got that random Thursday night, you know, Utah-Denver back-to-back. You throw Benetti in there. I think he did. I think he did game one of Denver-Portland this yeah, week. To your point, so you know. <laughs> I think, I think he, that's the, you know, who do we, who, who do we, I mean, Mark Jones is out there. Maybe he can do that game, but I think he's going to be your sort of your midweek, you know, not the most marquee game, but you need a solid broadcast. I think Benetti can can do that for you. But I think VC is interesting. I think he's a name to watch because if the talent can can catch up quickly with the name cachet, I think, you know, you may see ABC try to bump him up the ranks uh, more and more and more throughout his career. All right. And uh, NBA TV, I can't tell you the last time I watched a game on NBA TV, to be honest with you. And uh, of course, they're pairing up Joel Myers and Brendan Haywood. I've probably have heard more of Joel Myers on radio uh, than I have on uh, on television. I know he was uh, one time at NBC way back in the day, USA Network, uh, things like that. Brendan Hayward, we talked a lot about uh, during the uh, during March Madness as he got a seat at the table this year uh, with the Turner CBS combo and seemed to have uh, uh, made somewhat of a, a mark there. Adam, your thoughts. I like Joel Myers, I think, but he also reminds me of the, like, I feel like I'm taking a de, you know defensive driver's tactics course at my local DMV. Like, his voice has just got that. I feel like microfilm should be playing while he's talking, and we should be, you know, the slide should be moving over. But he's a serviceable broadcaster. I think he does a good job on football coverage, too. But I have, yeah, I mean, uh, when you wrote this list down at NBA TV, Joel Myers, Brennan Haywood, I was like, do they go, they're together? I don't know that I've ever seen that, ever seen that much. Because to be fair, NBA TV, they do a lot of live looking. So you're seeing the local and 
announcers on the NBA TV stuff. So, you know, how much they really need their own crews at times, I think is interesting. Um, Haywood is interesting because I think his energy was great on college basketball. I don't know how well that plays on, on the NBA game, um, but I liked his energy. I think he called one of the late games that was double overtime type game, if I remember correctly. And he was every shot. It was the best shot he ever seen until it was a, the next shot was the best shot he ever saw. <laughs> that kind of stuff probably won't fly as much in, in the NBA where you have fans who are looking more to, to root for teams versus laundry like you do in, in college. Uh, so I, yeah, I think he's okay. I just don't know if he's he's a great broadcaster. He's also kind of stiff in the studio, though, so I'm not quite sure what his role is. Um, but I don't hear these guys very often, and, and that's probably not a knock on them as much as it's just the way the logistics set up for NBA TV. Eric? Well, the reason we don't hear from them, they don't, you, they, this is only for the playoffs. They don't use regular season games to do it because they use the local broadcast during the regular season. This is like for when they – because they get some exclusive playoff games because, for example, I think uh, – you know, they have like Mavericks Clippers game two, for example, and things like that. So, you know, Joe Myers is a legendary broadcaster with the deep voice. He used to be the voice of the Lakers uh, football. I think he still does the Pelicans, I want to say, locally for the New Orleans Pelicans. So legendary voice. I think his best days have been behind uh, kind of been behind him a little bit. You know, Haywood is kind of new to this. I think the reason he's the pick is because a lot of the NBA TV guys are being used. Like, Greg Anthony's being used. Uh, Steve Smith, I think, gets used some. Jim Jackson's been – I mean, everybody gets used. So, you're going down on the depth chart to, to fill the slots. And uh, so, I think this is just more of the filling the slots. And I think Joel is kind of their, their guy to pick in the playoffs because, well, well, the Pelicans are not in it. It's so simple. So, um, you know, that's that's kind of the route there. It's just kind of finding a, a couple of spots. You wish, you know, and I don't know what the answer would be. Like, that's an interesting question would be if NBA TV could just pick. If you NBA TV called you and said, look, we need a broadcast team that's not doing games for Turner or ESPN and is available. In other words, they're not working a the Nets, like Ian Eagle, for example. Who do you pick? Who would be your pick in that scenario? I think would be interesting. Like, I'm a huge David Steele fan. Like, I think he would be great if they picked him to do a national, you know, NBA playoff game. And quite frankly, he deserves to do one because I don't know the next time the Magic will play in a playoff <laughs> game any anytime soon. So, um, or my guy, Adam Amin, who I go back to. Yeah, we get him in the back on the NBA TV side. The Bulls are out. So that would be my kind of what I would like to see. I don't know if you guys have a preference, uh, if you could pick a, a broadcast of NBA TV called you right now. That's a, you know, I think you made pretty two pretty solid choices there. Uh, if, if, if uh, truth be told, uh, yeah, I would love to see David Steele uh, have a chance to do uh, a national broadcast. Uh, and you know, uh, David Steele is, you know, we we didn't really didn't delve into into the local side of uh, NBA broadcasters, but you know, been the voice of the Magic since the beginning, first on radio, then. Uh, when Chip Carey moved on, he uh, took over on the TV side uh, and was one time the voice of the Florida Gators. Uh, I, I got a chance to work with him when he was the voice of the Orlando Renegades of the USFL for the one season they were. Wow. Uh, yes. Woo. Yes. That's pre-Sons of UCF, pre-Black and Go Banner Red Days there. Uh, yeah. I feel like yeah. That. So, so, uh, uh, so. You know, getting to know David Steele during that time, I was the studio engineer for those broadcasts, and he's he's just a you know he's a great guy. And uh, you know when I when it's a great play by play guy. Yes, he is. He is, he is tremendous. And you know I I feel I feel bad that they they kind of uh uh 
shafted him a little bit by, you know, putting the broadcast on both radio and TV because it's not fair to either audience. And Dennis Newman was awesome uh, on the radio and a longtime friend of mine as well. Uh, Dennis would have been another great choice, NBA TV, yeah, there uh, you, to pick too. There you go. So, yeah, I, I like your David Steele choice. Adam, what? Thank you. Yeah, I think, I mean, if I'm being a homer, I'll go Eric Reed, right? The Heat, the longtime Heat broadcaster, just because you guys went homer, I'll go homer too. Um, I think a couple of interesting <laughs> I'm an Eric Reed fan. The yeah. only difference is he's actually busy working the playoffs. Right. But I, I'm, I believe me, I'm an Eric Reed fan too. So I, um, I might but, go off the board on these a little bit, right? I think Adam Amin's a good choice. Um, but why not give somebody like a Boog Shambi a shot? I mean, he, he calls college basketball games. Is he available? And nostalgically, I know he's busy with a lot of other stuff and he's like the hardest working man in sports broadcasting. What about Kenny Albert? I know he's on the NHL stuff, but I, you know, what, 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 you know, put Kenny on NBA TV against his dad in another, another area. Because you have a lot of young guys. I mean, Ian Eagles' that kid is is in broadcasting. I think that'd be interesting as well. I think his name is Noah. You know, you, Noah. He's with the radio voice of the Clippers now. Yeah. yeah. Do you find a young guy like that to, to kind of bring in, sort of bring that connection? You need a little cachet there. But I think it'd be interesting if uh, if they could do that. But I might take a chance to go a little bit young, go with somebody uh, who's got some, uh, maybe doesn't have some chops like a Boog, who, who will do a, a quality broadcast if you only need a fill in. You know, know Wednesday night late Clippers you know Mavericks uh, tip off uh, that might be worth it very interesting um, this is a lot of fun I always enjoy doing these broadcaster breakdowns with you guys but before we before we conclude I gotta ask Eric as the uh, the voice of UCF softball at ESPN plus and uh, host of the uh, in the circle softball podcast with a friend of the program Victor Anderson um, yo interesting weekend for uh, for the Knights uh, getting a to the regional final and getting shut out by Florida State. Uh, the other two teams in the American also got uh, uh, to the re- their respective regional finals and uh, could not uh, win a single game to force a second game, uh, that being Wichita State, uh, who got destroyed by Oklahoma, and then South Florida, who lost to the Gators. Wanted to get you uh, get some quick thoughts from you uh, on the uh, on on the uh, NCAA's in softball, Eric. Well, I think for UCF, it was a successful year back in the NCAA tournament. First time since 2016. 41 wins for this group. Uh, get to a regional final. And I wish their offense was was more healthy. They were without a couple significant players on their offense, in particular Kennedy Searcy, who was, got hurt during conference play. I think that really hurt their offense. And really, you look at that regional, Florida State pitching did a great job of holding UCF to one extra base hit in two meetings. You know, UCF, I made this analogy on Twitter. UCF's offense a lot is, is because it's, it's youth and talent is similar to a football team's offense that goes up-tempo and depends on chunk plays. If you take away chunk plays, they tend to get frustrated. And I think that's what happened with UCF's offense in the in Tallahassee is they didn't get those extra base hits, doubles, triples. They're used to home runs. And as a result, I think they got frustrated as things went on and got shut down by a really good Florida State team. And unfortunately, the way Olympic sports works in the NCAA tournament, a lot of times they're going to bust a team if you're within a 400-mile radius. And as a result, you don't get a proper seed. I think of a Wichita State who, to me, is better than Florida State. Having seen both teams, I think Wichita State would have beaten Florida State. But... They're 400 miles away from Norman, Oklahoma, so they have to go to the number one ranked team in the country who's putting up football scores on offense. Might be the best offense in the history of softball. So it's an unfair process. I wish they would get rid of the 400-mile radius for these sports because the competition would be more balanced. And uh, I think UCF would have a better shot, to be quite frank. I mean, it's hard to win at Gainesville and Tallahassee. I think they've had some good teams in the past that could either host or be – win a regional somewhere else so but it was a great year beat arizona beat florida twice 
runner-up in the American Conference Championship. Heck, they went 2-1 and one in Tulsa. No UCF teams ever win in Tulsa, <laughs> for crying out loud. we got to take what we can get, boys. So, awesome year, exciting year, great group. Uh, with a great senior class, I think they got a, but they got a good group coming back for next year. So, really fun year and good to see softball back on the national map. Yeah, I tell you what, uh, and I, I think I remarked this to you uh, about a year ago. Is each year I find myself watching softball more and more, and what I what I really love is the enthusiasm. You know, the players are all dancing and cheering in the dugout, uh, you know, photobombing their coaches when they're being interviewed. Uh, it, it's just such a great atmosphere. They always have smiles on their faces. And, 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 you know, to me, softball is closer to baseball than women's basketball is to the men's game. Yes. You know, yes. I, so I re- really – find myself being more thoroughly entertained uh, by softball each and every year. Well, and from a national standpoint, softball actually outdraws college baseball and TV numbers and have actually beaten Major League Baseball. Postseason softball has beaten some of the individual MLB games uh, uh, during the season, especially when they get to the Women's College World Series, which is a huge TV draw. Uh, I would say it's the most popular women's sport out there from a TV standpoint. I agree with you. I think women's basketball is not even registered compared to like a men's basketball, whereas softball, and I, you know, I, some of it's because of the tempo of the game. Softball tends to be a two-hour in change, whereas, I mean, like, I'm sure we all watch the UCF Cincinnati game. Did you, I didn't think that game would ever end. <laughs> I thought I, I, I was still wor- on. Is it still it, on? <laughs> it might be on. I was okay. wondering, like, man, is our recording going to get delayed here if this game doesn't end? But, you know, they figured it out at some point. And that was with a 9 a.m. start. Um, so I think that a lot of those things help softball. And I think it's helped UCF in particular in their fan base there, our fan base. And it's a fun sport. It's exciting sports. Still needs to work on some kinks. But uh, you're right. I, I think it's a sport that's been growing from a television fact. This weekend, they're going to have their first national game on ABC. It's going to be aired. The Oklahoma-Washington game, too, is going to be on ABC. And sources have told me that you're going to see some of the Women's College World Series games on ABC as well. So that tells you what the network thinks of the sport. I think that's pretty significant, too, that they get that time, uh, time slot in the network. And I think you're going to see more of that in the future, especially with ESPN ABC now having the NHL starting next year uh, alongside the NBA. See, Adam, we need to uh, start a campaign to get Eric as one of the voices during uh, the NCAAs on ESPN. Yeah, I'm not going to lie to you. I think his best call this season was the uh, the base hit by the Llamacorns, uh, which uh, which played it to uh, <laughs> on, a, on a, a fielder, just a real tough fielder's choice ball that third baseman had to make there. I think that was his best call of the year. That was a tough one, too. That ball went foul, then went fair. I mean, down the line, dramatic finish. Dramatic finish. And you, 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 you punctuated the moment, Elo. Best call of the year. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate there you, it. There you go. All right. So, uh, guys, before you leave, time for the shameless plugs. Adam? Yeah, I'm trying to keep up with Elo with all the jobs he has. So I, I try to acquire some since our last recording. So Sons of UCF <laughs> podcast that's out uh, usually every Tuesday or Wednesday, depending upon how lazy I get. Uh, but you can find that wherever you get your podcast. We've also added a live edition, which includes our good friend. And I know you guys know this guy as well, Trace Troco. Uh, so that's Thursday nights on the internet. Uh, Elo has been a guest on there a few times. So you get uh, you get some Elo in your life during the softball season, which is fantastic. Uh, you can find us on social media on that stuff, uh, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. And then we also launched 
launched a new website, twonightsmedia.com, which once we launched it, my co-host UCF Mike uh, said, we're going to create daily content. That was three weeks ago. We haven't updated it since, boys, but you can get <laughs> all of our podcasts there. You can get all of our YouTube stuff there. And maybe one of these days, we actually will update it with fresh content. So find us on all that stuff. Follow us on Twitter, and uh, we'd be happy to have you as a listener. And to the hardest working man in show business, Elo. I didn't know about the website. That's breaking news you just got here. I didn't know about that. All right. I'm going to have to write that down. Um, so you can follow me at Eric Lopez Elo. Obviously, uh, I do the In the Circle SB, uh, In the Circle podcast. You can follow that on In the Circle SB. We're on twice a week uh, during postseason. We're going to be uh, at Oklahoma City. Victor's going to be in Oklahoma City. I will be on uh, here in studio. We'll be covering the, up until the Women's College World Series. That's for the softball content. I also write for Black and Gold Banneret. We do a weekly podcast, and we'll uh, be writing content. Baseball, obviously, right now going on in the conference tournament. Can they need to win the tournament to make it to the NCAA tournament? They have a tennis player right now. Gabe DeCamps is in the quarterfinals, uh, trying to win a national championship for UCF tennis and singles. Uh, they, you know, so there's still a lot of UCF stuff going on, you know, even though it's, it's usually a slow time uh so we'll be covering that on black and go banneret.com uh as well and uh, we'll be following that closely and i'm going to be listening to sons of ucf and hoping to get that mike golick exclusive breaking news that's what i want i want that adam i want that exclusive i'd say i put it on the website but i, I probably won't ever do that <laughs> <laughs> well there you go so uh, guys thanks once again and uh we will in the very near future we'll do do a baseball edition of this uh, That's so, a Mike Greenberg ass tease, right there. There we go. You are, you are learning a Mike Greenberg ask tease. <laughs> yeah, you you inspired me, Adam. Thank, Thank you. you so much Thank for you. that. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks again for being on. Hey guys. Anytime, guys. And we will be right back to close things out with a TV theme right after this. No Republicans, no Democrats, no team from Washington, no team with a star on the side of their head. We don't even talk about alpha and beta storms around here. And if you believe all of that, I have a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn. Captain and Company in the morning, join me 9 to noon. Weekday mornings on OldSchool101.com because class is always in session around here. Virus or no virus. There's a magic in the early morning we found. When the sunrise smiles on everything. Spend our days like bright and shiny new dawns. If we're ever puzzled by the changing times, there's a plate of homemade wishes on the kitchen windowsill, and it is enough to fill our And as you can tell by the lyrics, that is the theme from Eight Is Enough, a comedy drama series that ran on ABC from March 1977 to May 1981. The show modeled on the life of syndicated newspaper columnist Tom Braden, a real-life parent who had eight children, and wrote a book by the same title. 
The show is centering on the Sacramento, California family uh, with children from old, oldest to youngest, David, Mary, Joni, Susan, Nancy, Elizabeth, Tommy, and Nicholas. The father, Tom Bradford, based on Tom Braden, was played by Dick Van Patten, newspaper columnist for the fictional Sacramento Register. His wife, Joan, who was based on Joan Braden, was played by the late Diana Highland, uh, who was a homemaker and took care of the children. And in reality, Highland had been diagnosed with breast cancer early in 1977, underwent a mastectomy, was able to join the cast when production started, but cancer had spread. Her health suddenly began to deteriorate, and she'd only filmed four episodes before falling ill. She died in March of 1977. Her character's death was written into the second season of the series, and Highland, incidentally, at the time, was dating the one John Travolta of Saturday Night Fever fame. The second season began in the fall of 77. Tom was a widower. He eventually met and fell in love with Sandra Sue Abbey Abbott, played by Betty Buckley, a widowed school teacher who came to the house to tutor Tommy when he broke his leg in a football game, and they were married in one of the series' TV movie broadcasts in November of 1977. The rest of the cast, Grant Goodeve as oldest son David, and Grant, by the way, was the vocalist of the theme song, now, that wasn't the original theme song of the show. It was an instrumental the first two seasons. And then Grant uh, got to sing the theme for seasons three through five. Laney O'Grady was Mary. Lori Walters as Joni. Susan Richardson as Susan. Diane Kay as Nancy. Connie Newton-Needham as Elizabeth. Willie Ames was Tommy. And he would also uh, go on to... Uh, uh, be part of Charles in Charge, co-starring with Scott Bayo, and Adam Rich was the young Nicholas Bradford. Incidentally, in the pilot, the role of the oldest David was played by Mark Hamill. There were a couple other actors who had played for the other parts in the pilot, and they were let go and replaced, and Mark Hamill actually got out of his contract because of a little thing called Star Wars. The series had two reunion movies on NBC, uh, the reunion movie in 87, Mary Fran replaced Betty Buckley as Abby. And that was followed by an Eight is Enough wedding in 1989. And another actress played Abby, Sandy Faison. And both movies, ironically, aired opposite Game 2 of the World Series each time on ABC. Eight is Enough, our closing TV theme for this week. And with that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at JeffAllen underscore 88, on Facebook at JeffAllen88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer's Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.